again. <laughs> do it again. Amen. Do it again, Jesus. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Wow, so good to be back again, and a great crowd here today again, and I just want to appreciate that you've taken time to come and be here and to learn, and uh, we try to make it all simple so it's not a complex thing that only special people can do, and uh, thank you Rob and the team this morning, I love that worship, just, just, it was so good, so good, and the passion you have as you, as you worship, and very inspiring, and uh, I thought, oh, is it finished already, goodness, <laughs> Praise the Lord. Well, so we're on a journey of, of learning about how to move with God to bring freedom to people. In fact, we're called to represent our Father. And the Father can be seen in Jesus and can be seen in Jesus' connection to people, how he treated them, how he ministered to them. So Jesus came to reveal what the Father was like. That's why at the end, before he went to the cross, he could say, I finished the work or assignment you gave me to do, which was revealing the Father. And he revealed what he's like by his uh, manner, by his way he treated people, by his teaching, all of those things. Now, uh, so wherever Jesus went, of course, he ministered deliverance. So that's what we're on about today. And, and this morning's session, I want to pick up the topic, in the first session, I want to pick up the topic of, uh, the do uh, of uh, foundations for freedom. Foundation is something you build something upon. And uh, I, I found in the early days, it was all about the meeting and the atmosphere and the worship and then seeing God do stuff. But I found you actually have to have understanding uh, and, a, and a theology or a, a belief structure around it and help people to prepare for what God wants them to do. So what I want to do is I want to share with you just on the foundations for freedom. And uh, we must be quite, um, if people want to be free, they must be intentional about pursuing it. And uh, it's very easy to someone to put the leaning on you or put the weight on you to fix them. But this is their journey in their life. You're just there as the minister of God to do what you can by faith there at the time. Jesus put the question to the person in John 5, 6, do you want to be healed? And instead, now that's a, it's kind of a yes, no answer, isn't it? Do you want to be healed? Yes, no. And he comes up with this long explanation of why nothing's happening, which is, in other words, he's coming up with a whole scenario of unbelief. And uh, people so often do that. You know, what, do you, what do you believe in God to do? And now we tell the story. I don't want to hear the story. What do you believe in God to do? It must be that uh, this is what I need to be free of. And uh, so, so we must be quite intentional about it. People must be intentional about pursuing freedom. And freedom is a process as well as an encounter. So it's a journey. And you see that in Exodus 23 where God tells them, I round about in verse uh, 30, he says, little by little will I drive them out from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. And uh, he says, I will deliver the inhabitants into your hand. You will drive them out. Now, you notice there, you see there that there is a process, little by little. So God doesn't address every problem in our life at once. And so the ministry of freedom is in layers. It's in layers. It takes place progressively, and sometimes you find you're revisiting an issue, but it's at a deeper level from a different perspective. And we don't be condemned. It's just like, hey, we just need to grow and change. And if there's something God shows, we'll respond. Little by little will you enter and inherit and possess the land. And they possessed it by coming to the strongholds and overthrowing the enemy there and then replacing them and establishing God's kingdom there. So that's, that's a picture for us of our own journey. As God shows us strongholds, areas resistant to knowing and experiencing him, then we look at the roots of it, we deal with the demons in it, and we deal with our part in, in the process. You notice also in that same context that God spoke to them and, uh, and said in verse 32, you shall make no covenant with them nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. If you serve their gods, it will be a snare to you. 
So he makes it very clear that the violation of God's law by forming agreements and uh, so on with uh, demonic powers will bring a snare around our soul. And we read it and think it's just all Old Testament stuff. But no, actually, the Bible talks about us being free from the snare of the wicked one. So he does that by deceiving us. So I want to get into there just the what we would call the foundations. And uh, we shared with you how the devil enters or demons enter people's life two major pathways. One is by legal rights. And we saw that in Ephesians 4.27. He says, give no place legal right, any area of jurisdiction to the devil. Don't do it. And uh, then secondly, demons enter through trauma experiences or through wounding in our life experiences, which remains unresolved. As you're well aware, if you cut yourself, that's one issue. But if it gets infected, now it's another whole level of problem comes. So when we're wounded, if we don't resolve it, then demonic spirit sees that opportunity to gain access to us. And so uh, I want to now look at two major aspects then of freedom. The first part is what Christ has done for us. It's really important you have a good grasp on the extent of the work of the cross, of the extent of what Jesus did for us, so that no matter what comes up in ministry, you can direct them to the cross. The cross is the place where heaven engages earth. The cross is the place where there is a divine exchange, where I can exchange my brokenness, weaknesses, bondages, and whatever for the resurrection power of Christ. So we should never leave the cross out of our ministry to people. We must bring them to the cross in that sense of showing them what they need to do to cooperate with God. So the first part, which I'll look at, is the work Jesus has done at the cross. That forms the foundation for our freedom. And then the second part of the, uh, the, the, the other side of, the, of this coin is our personal response. Will we respond and align with heaven? And so I, I know I'm making quite a bit of this. Next session, we'll talk about the, how you actually go about doing some things. But it's really important that you, you have this grasp. There's the part Jesus has done. There's the part that we must do to allow him then to work in our life and to work through us. And uh, I, I never, never draw back on showing people these two areas. Every time when I'm working with people, we bring them eventually to the cross and we bring them to their part, what they must do to cooperate in the process of their own freedom. Get the idea? Okay then, so, uh, so let's have a look and uh, we'll read in the New Testament and, uh, uh, and we'll look in first of all in Colossians 1.20. And I won't look up all the verses, I'll just give them to you, but uh, I do want you to, uh, to form your own framework of uh, knowledge of these scriptures underline them or get familiar with them anyway so you can just pull them out whenever you need them but in uh, Colossians and see if I can find it here Colossians chapter 1 and uh, verse uh, 21 and verse 20 and uh, <clears throat> for uh, verse 19 for it pleased the father than him all the fullness should dwell by him to reconcile all things to himself things in heaven things on uh, in earth things in heaven having made peace through the blood of of his cross. And notice that peace, meaning shalom, prosperity, freedom, comes through what Jesus did at the cross, through the blood of the cross. So when Jesus went to the cross, he was our representative, but the way he was put to death allowed him then to experience every aspect of suffering that man could know, and he could then be our representative to take our suffering to the cross so then we can have an exchange when we come to him. We come to him, we can exchange our areas of bondage and so on for his victory. So while we're in Colossians, look over in Colossians chapter 2, and uh, it says there, notice then in verse uh, uh, 14, <clears throat> in verse 13, having forgiven you all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us and was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Now you notice there that Jesus has forgiven all trespasses, wiped out all, or to means to erase or obliterate 
every legal accusation that could be made against us. So at the cross, it was a legal transaction took place. We can look at it from just the physical point of view, but actually in the spirit, an altar has been built, a sacrifice has been made, and the result of that is the full price is paid, forgiven us all our trespasses. So everything that you've ever committed, everything you're ever likely to committed, a provision has made. And at the cross, literally Jesus took all the list that was against us and contrary to us and the basis for legal claims against us, accusations against us, demand for rights to enter us, all of it, Jesus took it to the cross and then removed it out of the way of us living in freedom. And in doing so, by being our representative, taking our sins, iniquities, and trespasses to the cross, he was then able to disarm, to completely remove the authority and power of the devil against us. He disarmed principalities and powers. That means remove all of their authority, every weapon of war they could use against you, to bring you legally into bondage, to gain access to your life, to afflict you, to torment you, condemn you, every weapon that could be used. When Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood, he has removed it, taken away its power. So if demons gain access by legal rights, it's the cross removes the legal rights. And uh, it's, it's important to understand that, making or triumphing over them. And it, that word triumph is the word uh, meaning, it's a, a, a word referring to the Roman triumphal procession of an emperor or a Roman general. And he's carrying his captives stripped and in chains behind him. And he's carrying the booty of the uh, conqueror, what he has conquered. So it's a picture, triumphing. They all knew that word. We see just triumph. Okay, I had a great shout. No, 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 it's more than that. This is a great victory parade when the conqueror brings his slaves that he's conquered, the generals. They would strip the generals naked and tie them, chain them up and then bring them behind to humiliate them, to show them they are publicly totally disgraced and defeated. That is what Jesus has done. Totally disgraced, defeated them as our representatives. And uh, see, this forms the basis then for deliverance, forms the basis then for freedom. So uh, as our representative, what did Jesus take to the cross? Well, I'll give you a list of them with the, uh, with the scriptures. I won't look them all up, but I want you to see how extensive it is. It's just incredibly extensive. Most people, I mean, you have the simple version, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But we, we, often we don't understand the difference between sin, transgression, and iniquity. He took them all. So what are they? You know, it's kind of like we need to explore these things. So, so we see then, it says he uh, has uh, forgiven us all our trespasses, Colossians 2, 13 to 15. So sin is a falling short of what God has done. Trespass, I know what's right and I chose to do wrong. Iniquity, there's a crookedness in me that twists me to trespass and to sin. So iniquity is the root problem within, the twist away from God and towards sin, sin is the falling short. I just fail to meet up to God's standards. Uh, but at trespass, I'm actually violating the laws of God intentionally. So that, each of them are quite different. And in the Old Testament, they had different, they had different uh, offerings were made for sin and for trespass. So, so if there was a difference, they are distinguished. Because one, the person didn't know, but they sinned and fell short. There's still a trespass offering required. Ignorance was never a cover for sin. Right. It's like you break the law, get down the road, and you're speeding, doing 80, mile, 80 kilometers per hour, and the cop calls you and says, this is a 50K area. You know, I never saw that. I never knew that. That doesn't make you innocent. Right. It, it doesn't make you innocent. So not knowing doesn't make you innocent of violation and access by demons. That's why we've got to share the Word of God with people and prepare them for their freedom. So they take on themselves the responsibilities they need to and engage with what Jesus did at the cross. Getting the idea. Okay, so number one, he took our trespasses. Number two, uh, in Galatians 3, 13 to 16, uh, uh, 13 to 14, he took our curse. So it says that Jesus has redeemed us 
paid a full price by shedding his blood, redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now, curses from the law, there's a whole list of them you can find in the Old Testament around Deuteronomy 27, 28. When we violate the laws of God, we, uh, uh, things come in upon our lives and we have consequences of it. So many of the things you're dealing with are curses, violations of the law of God. You can't violate the law without a consequence. And so that's how God governs. There are consequences for actions. So he redeemed us. That means paid the full price, rescue us from all the consequences of sin, the, 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 the curses of the law. So if he paid a price to redeem us from the curses of the law, the curse of the law must be real. Curses are real things. Their involvement of demonic spirits with people's lives that cause patterns and cycles of failure. And then he did that so that the blessing of Abraham might come upon us. And so you read in Genesis 12, 12 2, the blessing of Abraham. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you all, the families of the earth shall be blessed. And those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. Now that's, you need to understand that we're, 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 Jesus paid the price, not just to bring us out of cursing, but to put us into blessing. And that blessing is powerful. It's every year of my life under blessing, under favor. It meaning I got a tailwind instead of a headwind. It means, or if you're unsaved, you say, man, you're lucky. Yeah, right. Didn't you know without luck, it's impossible to please God, you know? No, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So it says those blessings, so the curses go and the blessings come by faith. It's faith that activates things into our life. I've got to position myself and align my life to do what God wants me to do in order that curses are broken and blessings come. They're just available freely, but not automatic. That's the best way I could describe it. They're freely available, but not automatic. They don't just come because you turned up in church. They come because of a life of faith. Amen? So, so one of the things is no matter where you've come from, no matter what your family's like, no matter what your background's like, no matter what curses have been operating, you're the one God wants to end the curse and start the cycle of blessing, build different patterns for the next generations. Okay, so curses, every curse. He took every curse. Uh, third thing, he took our shame. He took our shame. Now, shame's a big issue. Shame is an issue globally. Many cultures are filled with shame. So shame in the West and shame in the rest of the world is a little bit different. In the, in the, in the West, shame has to do with our, our failures. But in the, uh, in, in the other cultures of the world, shame has to do with the corporate, the, the community view of, of you and your value. So shame is a, a, is a power that's used to manipulate or control people to, to, to conform to expectations. People are afraid of shame. They call it, they want to lose face. And you need to understand that when you're dealing with Asian and African and Pacific countries and even our own Polynesians because honor and shame are very, very big issues. So Jesus died on the cross for our shame. Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12 it says he despised the shame. He considered it to be nothing, the shame of the cross for the joy that was set before him. So shame is a belief structure in your heart that I have no value, something is wrong with me, I am the problem. Guilt, I did something wrong, shame, I am the problem. There's a, there's a big difference between the two. Now, the, when we look at the cross from a Western point of view, it focuses primarily on the suffering of Jesus. So you'll read about the cross from a Western perspective, it'll be primarily about his suffering. But when you read it through the eyes of the Bible, through the Hebrew culture, it's all about shame. See, they could have poisoned him. They could have snuck up and put us, uh, killed him while he's sleeping or something like that. They, they, they decided to crucify him because every part of it was designed to publicly strip honor from a man and bring him to a place of such shame <clears throat> and such reproach. No one would ever follow them. So every aspect of it, from the covering the head, the slapping the face, the binding the arms, the stripping naked, the putting on the crown, the, the whipping him, publicly dis, dis, uh, disfiguring him. All of this is designed to intentionally shame him. Even in the, the, the intensity of the physical flogging was so great that the bowels would often just open up. And, and so the persons messed themselves. 
Everything about it is about shame. And then finally, when they die on the cross, they're nailed to the cross. The, the pinning of the arms uh, was, a, a, was a great shameful thing to be pinned like that. To be displayed nakedly in public was a great shame. And then often when the person is on the cross and their bowels will discharge, or often there's a swelling of the genitals, again, it's all about shame to ridicule the person. So when you start to look at the cross through the eyes of the shame culture, and then you start to see another dimension, how Jesus took all the shame of our sexual traumas, of violence perpetuated against us, of being humiliated, of being put down, of being mistreated, of facing injustice, all of that he took on the cross. So, so, the, so we, 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 we often are very lightweight on the cross not understanding it's the very power of God to salvation to them who believe, not just believe in the cross, believe what Jesus has done and accomplished in the cross and take hold of it. Okay, well, and of course in Psalm 69, verse 19 and 20, he talks then about the shame and the reproach that came upon him as they mocked him and belittled him. In uh, the, the other thing, he, he took our broken hearts. Psalm 69, verse 20, my heart is broken. So Jesus said he's broken because of what he's experienced. Having reached out and loved people, uh, he's broken by the, in his heart. His heart is broken by the experience of being so rejected, so abused, so mistreated by people. So if you've had a broken heart, he took the broken heart so you could have a heart that's whole and healed. Uh, we find in Isaiah uh, 53 verse 3, he was despised and rejected of men. So every experience of rejection with all the pain of rejection, Jesus has taken that and absorbed it into himself so we could exchange our rejection and receive acceptance. He has made us. God did it. God made you accept it. It's the lie of the devil that you're rejected. It's the lie of the devil, you're a shameful person. All of those are lies. The truth is, at the cross, Jesus took your rejection. He was rejected on our behalf so we could be accepted. See? And so these are powerful things. You could teach a whole series on the cross. And in Isaiah 53, he took our griefs and our sorrows. So griefs and sorrows are part of the four, part of the human experience. Jesus took our griefs and sorrows. He grieved. He was a man of sorrows, fully acquainted with grief. In other words, it wasn't he's a sad man. He was a very joyful man, but he had experiences that caused him grief and great sorrow being betrayed by people, being rejected by his own people. All of these things he experienced brought tremendous grief to him. He felt our sorrows and our griefs. He wept openly. He, he felt the pain of what sin was doing. He wept as he saw the consequences to Jerusalem of failing to accept him. You understand? So he took our griefs and sorrows. So you understand then when, when a person's got grief and sorrow, it's something not just emotional about it. There's a spiritual dimension to it that Jesus took at the cross. He disempowered every weapon a demon could use against us. Our iniquities, Isaiah 53 verse 5, surely he bore our iniquities. Isaiah 53 verse 5, it says, he, he, by, our, by our stripes we are healed. So he took physical sickness. We find he took our trauma. He took our trauma. John 19 and verse 18, the trauma of the cross. The cross was a deeply traumatic experience. The scourging was traumatic. The shock of it would be enough to kill people. The shock of it, as I said, was so strong that the bowels were just open. It just couldn't contain the trauma to the body. And then having already been traumatized, put on the cross, again, the physical suffering of it was traumatic to him. So he took trauma so that we could be free of traumatic experiences, free in our body from its impact, free in our mind and heart, free from the demonic uh, influence of it. We can be free of these things. Man, it's amazing. Look, I've I just got to tell you something. I went to a, a meeting in New Zealand, and I was there, and uh, we had a bunch of guys we were praying for. And I saw a guy leaning up against, a, uh, against the wall, and uh, he was in a hoodie, and he stood like this, and uh, looking at me. And uh, I said, what's up with him? And they said, well, he was involved in a motor vehicle accident. It caught fire. He's got burned. But uh, people, uh, there was someone killed, and he just got out of jail. And so he's not a very happy chappy. And so I went over to him and I said, how can I help you? And uh, he said, I, my arm hurts. He didn't tell me anything about anything else. 
my arm hurts. And he showed her the arm and it got all the burn scars. So he's in pain. He's been in pain for quite some time. And, uh, and, but it's deeper than that. You can tell from the hoodie uh, and the way his posture was, he's covered with shame. Covered with shame. And so I just prayed for him. I prayed in the spirit. Then I took authority over and uh, the spirit of trauma broke the soul tie to the trauma of the accident, commanded the spirits of infirmity to go out of him, spirits of, uh, that accused him and shamed him. And we prayed for healing. Immediately he was healed, just wow. like that. Now, when I came in the meeting that night, I, there's a guy at the door, shook, and he looking clean dressed and looking good, and he shook my hand, smiled, welcome. And I thought, wait a minute. Have I met you before? He said, yeah, you prayed for me today. I said, what? He was transformed completely. Whatever was sitting on him had all gone. His face was open. His head was uncovered now. He's no longer in that place. See, at the cross, Jesus took our trauma. We have to believe what the cross has done. You need to understand what the cross has done. It is the basis for freedom. It's the grounds to which all freedom is, is, is built. Uh, betrayal, Psalm 41 verse 9. Jesus talks about the sorrow or the pain of being betrayed by a friend. Betrayal is one of the most uh, painful wounds you can have. The betrayal of a spouse where they're unfaithful. You know, people who have had an opportunity to counsel and they realize that it's not just that there was adultery. It's the whole trauma of betrayal. The betrayal trauma is the big one because the person's cast into shock as their world upheaves and the questions come, what is real and what isn't real? And, and a person can go through torment for quite some time because they've gone through the shock of betrayal. Betrayal can be, it's usually by people that we gave access to our lives. So we can be betrayed by spiritual leaders, betrayed by a spouse, betrayed by friends, betrayed in the area of finances. It is a major trauma, let alone fixing up and trying to deal with the consequences of it. So Jesus was betrayed by a friend. He understands betrayal. He gets it. He, he even made the statement, do you betray the son of a man with a kiss? In other words, are you coming and kissing and hugging me, but your intent is to reveal me to people to, and betray me. Wow. So, so again, betrayal is a deep trauma. That's a whole area of its own, really. And that's where a lot of people are stuck in that kind of betrayal trauma. He took our injustices, 1 Peter 2, verse 22. Injustice is a common experience. <clears throat> Racial injustice. Injustice between genders. There's all manner and forms of injustice. It's a part of the fallen world. But injustice leaves us with a deep anger. It leaves us with a that's not fair. It leaves us in a state where there's no peace, no shalom. And Jesus himself took injustice. The, the cross was a great injustice. The innocent dying for the guilty. They checked him four times and no one could find a fault. Yet he went to the cross. What an injustice. And so injustices in society have to first be dealt with at a heart and spirit level before you can actually work out how to address it at a practical level. I'm no, just saying. Uh, and he took our abandonment in Matthew 27, verse 46. He was abandoned. Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? So he experienced right at the end the feeling of I'm all alone. There is no one there for me. That's an experience many people have. David had that experience. So he wrote in Psalms, he said, when my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will gather me up. So again, abandonment, where all the friends who were there and you thought they were your friends and then in your crisis, they have abandoned you. That's a very, very painful trauma. And so trauma a, has a major effect on our, on our system and, uh, and it's a traumatic thing. So Jesus took all those things. So I can't think of any more, but I notice you will call his name Jesus for he will save his people. He is our Savior. He is the one that delivers. It's in His name deliverance comes. And so I share these things because the first pillar of freedom is what Jesus did on our behalf. It is a legal transaction 
that permits us now to access freedom. So there is nothing that can be thrown against us. No accusation, charge, or legal right at the cross, Jesus addressed them all. There's no wound that can be used as a doorway when it's brought to the cross because Jesus took that trauma to the cross. He took whatever we've experienced to the cross. So when you start to get revelation on the cross, your love for Him gets deeper and deeper. I found sometimes I discovered about the shame of the cross. I just wept for days over it. I had no idea how deep the level of his suffering. And then we haven't even talked about what happened after that. So Jesus has entered into at the cross a divine exchange, God's planned and perfect substitute for us. So we could have freedom, every demon, every curse, every bondage he could bring to us. That's why we need a fresh appreciation of the cross. The cross is the power of God to salvation to them that believe. Not believe in the cross, believe in what God did through the cross on our behalf. So that's your first foundation, just knowing that. Well, I could have spent a lot of time on that, but that, that's enough. That's just get to go. Now we get the other part. <laughs> the other part. See, although Jesus died on the cross, it requires a response. So Jesus has died on the cross <clears throat> that all might be saved. It is the will of God that all be saved, but are all saved. Now, something's required. They need to hear the gospel and they need to respond. And it's in their responding, the power of God is released. So <clears throat> frequently, you'll have people come with needs, but do they want to respond to God? Or do they just want you to pray a quickie prayer and fix them up, please? You understand, you cannot get in, drawn into that trap. We can't get drawn into that trap. We've got to understand that they have a part in this to play. This is their journey. It's their issue. And while we have compassion, our role is to be the minister of God, the representative of God to them. So uh, it's an interesting thing. It tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 24 through to 26. He says, now the servant of the Lord must not strive. So in other words, don't, <clears throat> don't get into arguments with people over stuff. They're not going to work. They're not going to go anywhere. But must be gentle. So in other words, a requirement for ministry is gentleness, that we don't get into argumentative things, trying to prove people are wrong or trying to sort them out in that way. He says, the servant of the Lord must not strive, must be gentle. In meekness or humility, instructing those that stand in opposition to themselves. So you notice then the minister of God is required to instruct people. Not just pray for people, we're in Christ required to instruct them. Instructing those who are, who are acting in ways that actually ends up opposing themselves. They're doing destructive things. So the servant of the Lord must not strive, must be gentle uh, in humility, uh, um, instructing those who oppose themselves. And perhaps God will give them repentance that they might acknowledge the truth and recover their senses and escape from the sneer of the wicked one who takes them captive whenever he wants. So if you look at the picture there, he's saying, this is a person who keeps being affected by demons. The demons can capture them or imprison them or manipulate them whenever they want. And they can do that because there's a snare being set and they've fallen into it. It says, if you want to get them out of the snare, help them understand how they got there and what to do to get out of it. That's why the servant of the Lord must be gentle, instructing those who oppose themselves. And perhaps God will give them, you know, repentance to acknowledge the truth about their, their situation, how to get out of it. And then they recover themselves from the snare the devil has set for them. So there's always a certain measure of personal responsibility. And I've tended to wait more that way these days because I found everywhere I went, people would come up wanting an anointed man to fix them up. And while God is gracious and will do all kinds of things, even if people don't deserve it or are not prepared, nevertheless, if you're going to be effective in deliverance, you do want to show, understand how to get people in the right positioning. So in James 4, 7, it says, humble yourself, 4, 6, humble yourself because God will give grace to the humble. Then it says, submit to God, 
resist the devil, he will flee from you. Submit to God, that's a decision, a choice. Resist the devil, that's also a choice and activity, and the consequences are the devil will flee. So we don't have to be thinking. We shouldn't be thinking about big devils. We should be thinking about defeated devils and how to position yourself for winning. And it says, humble yourself. Don't say, you know, humble yourself. Now, some people, the only time they humble themselves is when they've gone through such a mess, they got they can't escape the mess. They have to come and tell you what's going on. Now they're in a, they've been humbled by their circumstances. But humility means that I recognize how God wants me to be positioned, what my part is. And this is very important. Humility is how God lifts you up. Humility always comes before God lifting you up. Pride always comes before your defeat. So if a person's coming defeated, they're all going to need to humble themselves. And people aren't always aware because humility is something you choose. It's a posture of heart to agree with God, submit to his journey and process. Okay, so he says, humble yourself, submit to God. Submit means the word hupo, meaning beneath, tasso, to position yourself. So hupo, tasso, position yourself under the authority and leadership of Jesus Christ so you can win the victory. But you'll have two parts to do. One, submit, and the other, resist. There's no place for victim thinking here. This is all about being proactive. Submit means position yourself in alignment with Jesus Christ. Every area you're out of alignment, bring it into alignment. And I'll give you the steps in a moment. <clears throat> but we see the principle here, that positioning under the authority of someone powerful releases their power to act on your behalf. Whoever you come under, their power is released or their influence is released in your life. So just saying, submit to God, align yourself with Him, come into agreement with Him, position yourself so you're surrendered to Him. And then when you resist, all the authority of heaven backs you up. The devil must flee, got no grounds anymore. So there may be a bit of protesting. <laughs> I like the protesting, but, but anyway, the, the, the reality is that this, the, the devil has been defeated. We just need to enforce the defeat. So really, in a way, with deliverance, you're just enforcing his defeat. Okay, let's go there. I'll just make it then really quite simple steps in this. And uh, here's the first, and, and, and they're not hard, each one of them. Number one, the person must recognize the problem. They have to see it. See, when people come to you, they can't even see their problem, let alone take any responsibility for it. In Proverbs 28, 8, 13, it says, If you cover your sin, you shan't prosper. If you confess and forsake, you'll find mercy. So to cover means to conceal, to flee, to avoid it. Cover means conceal or flee and hide away from it, Proverbs 28 and 13. So if you can't see the problem and the need for change, you're not going to get free. You're living in a state of denial. And, and if people won't recognize the problem, I don't go any further. It, what, what can I do? You, you're actually blinded to your condition. What you need to do is go through a bit more suffering so your eyes are open and you become a bit more desperate. And you understand, you must operate in kingdom principles. It's not being unkind. It's just facing spirit realities. If the person won't recognize there's a problem. See, if a person doesn't recognize they need saving, they're not coming to Jesus. They kind of need to. So, so you'll find sometimes you get people that will not recognize there's a problem. That's because a pride has blinded their heart. And then consequences are inevitable. See, God never argues with people. You know, Adam, he come to Adam. Now, interesting how God dealt with Adam when Adam's in. It's just amazing. He just asked questions. First is the relationship question. Where are you? We normally meet and connect, and I can't find you in our meeting place. What's happening? Where are you? Which is the relationship question. And that's always the question you want to find when you're ministering to people. Where are you? Talk about your story. Where are you? Tell us where you are. Second thing he asked him was, well, who's influencing you? Whose thoughts are you listening to? Then the third question he said was, well, will you be responsible? Did you eat the fruit of the tree? 
will you own up to your actions? And the moment that Adam begins to blame the woman and blame God, God stops talking to him. Oh, you're a blamer. Okay. Talk to someone else. Next time God comes back, it's consequences. Now, there's a huge principle just in that. Huge principle just in that. You see, if all he'd done was just say, Father, I sinned. I really blew it. I really, I've made a bad, a bad decision, bad choice. Will you forgive me? That would have changed everything. But he didn't. And you see, so when a person won't, uh, that brings us to the second thing. The second thing is to take responsibility. People have to take responsibility. So first of all, recognize it. So denial means I'm refusing to recognize there's a problem. I just need consequences. And I can't prosper in advance. Second thing is responsibility. In Psalm 51 verse 3, uh, cleanse me from my sin for I acknowledge my transgressions. So we have to take full responsibility for our part. Now, many people come with a victim mindset. A victim mindset is this. To be a victim means I suffered injustice and was powerless to deal with it. To be, have a victim mindset means I remain powerless. It's not my fault. Someone else is to blame. And so a victim mindset is always looking for someone to blame and someone to rescue. It's not my fault. It's that person's fault. And I want you to come and fix me up. And so people who are victims and blamers always attract rescuers who love to feel good by rescuing people. Find them in churches. Find them in pastoral ministry. You find them teachers. You find them nurses. I haven't got time to go into all of this area, but it's just where identity is not secure. People take on a role in relationships of rescuing. Oh, there, there. And it's just often a misguided mercy gift. That's all. But you've got to understand this victim dynamic. The victim will always say, it's not my fault. Someone else is to blame. It's also not my responsibility to get out. Someone has to get me out. So you get such a person in church, well, not my fault, the devil. The devil. See? And you, God needs to come through for me. I need you to pray for me. See? And if you fall into that trap, you're actually enabling the victim mindset. That's why I take this line of you must be responsible. Here's the part you will play in preparing yourself for your freedom. Any idea? <laughs> You're all thinking of people right now. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So blaming others transfers responsibility and power. Blaming others transfers responsibility and power outside yourself. You're left powerless and resentful. So here's the interesting thing is after all those years of slavery in Egypt, the first thing God wanted to deal with was their victim mentality, the bitterness in their heart that caused them to blame authorities for their problem. So he just brought them to bitter waters, gave them a bit of taste of the bitter waters, and up come the complaining. Whereas, get this, Moses prayed, and God showed him a tree, which when the tree was put in the bitter waters made it sweet. Now, I'm going to preaching all on that, but there's a whole message right there of what the cross, when you apply it, to the bitter experiences of life can bring about freedom and make you sweet. But you've got to apply the cross. It's just not a matter of knowing that there's a cross or where it is. You've got to actually put it into that situation by faith. In a moment, we'll share that. So first, recognize. Second, take responsibility for your part in it. When you are responsible for your part in it and your path out of it, you have power back again. When you are responsible for your part in the problem and, 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 your, and your journey out of it, it restores authority to your life. No blame, no excuse, no avoid, no justify. Just tell it like it is. Say this. <laughs> well, there needs to be a lot more of that in the church, doesn't there, eh? Okay, now, so, so I've got the person, they recognize there's a problem, they come, they're willing to take response, do whatever needs to take. Now, okay, do they need to repent? Repentance is a key foundation. Matthew 4, 17, Jesus preached, the kingdom of heaven, including deliverance, is at hand. Repent. Repent means to have a change of mind. Change, total change, total shift about how I think. It, it's about saying, I got it wrong. I need to change. 
See, so it's, it's a change in thinking. Repentance is absolutely essential because repentance turns people away from the things that gave legal rights to demons. Repentance is a major part of deliverance. And I hear a lot of teaching and so on about grace and no need to repent anymore. It's an error. It's a doctrine of demons. Absolute doctrine of demons. And you show me anyone teaching that who moves in deliverance. See, when you understand legal rights, you realize that, yes, God has given grace to us. I don't have to earn a thing, but I must believe and cooperate with him in the process. There's a working out of my salvation. Demons understand legal rights. And so I've got to play my part. Repentance is something you do daily. Just, it's a, called a foundation in Hebrews 6, the foundations of our faith. And a foundation, you don't dig up the foundation after you laid it. The foundation stays there supporting what you're building. So repenting from dead works and faith towards God is a lifestyle. And so whenever I find I got it wrong, I just repent. Lord, I'm sorry I got that wrong. Now, we can turn it into some big heavy thing, but it's actually a relational thing. It's a relational thing. It's like saying, where's I value our relationship? I'm really sorry I got this wrong. I've hurt you. See, otherwise you end up with a, a legalistic approach to repentance. Repentance is a gift of God to, to see what's wrong and change your thinking and turn to him and put your relationship right again. Because it is possible to grieve the Holy Spirit. If I've grieved the Holy Spirit. If I've, if I've come and I've upset Wes, there is a block in the relationship. <clears throat> Not because he's unwilling to come to me, but because I've actually created a problem. So if I want it restored, I come to him and say, Listen, I'm really sorry. I feel our relationship has changed. I value our relationship. Please forgive me for what I've done and how it's hurt you. It's not just saying I'm sorry for what I did. It's recognition I've actually hurt and distressed you and, and affected our relationship. That's what repentance is. It's a heart issue. It's a relationship issue. It's, it's a change in the way I think that restores my relationship again. Oh, you're getting so quiet on some of these things. Oh, it's so foundational. You don't hear so much on it these days, but it's absolutely essential. And, and, uh, and so repentance also includes confession. One John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, to confess means to homologio, the Greek word homologio, say the same thing God says. That sin is sin, this is what is sin. And sins are dealt with at the cross. So if I'm going to confess my sin, I need to say the same things God says. Number one, it's sin. So I bring it to the cross. Now it's forgiven sin. So I don't need to raise it again. It is removed. The handwriting, the list of my sins is removed. The devil is disempowered now. So very simple. I'm, Lord, forgive me. <clears throat> the fourth thing we touched on last night, there's a need to receive and release forgiveness. In Mark eleven twenty five, when you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against any. Otherwise, it affects the flow of God's grace to you. We saw that last night. Forgive means release a debt. And he said, forgive from the heart in Matthew eleven thirty four. So to forgive from the heart means I take time to reflect and recognize what my experience was, what happened to me. I allow myself to actually connect with what's in my heart, the pain, the anger, the resentment. And we talk about that can be done through journaling is one way of doing it. And then I need to let that go and exchange it at the cross. Lord, I am angry. I've been angry a long time. I built walls in my heart. Lord, I may have said I've forgiven them, but Lord, there's such a wall in my heart. I know this is not true. So Lord, now I open my heart. I let go of the control. I give you access Help me understand how deeply I've been hurt so I can bring my hurt to the cross. Lord, I let it go to you. Come in and heal the place where I'm in pain because of the injustice. I set my mind on the cross. And you see, there's a, there's a process with God of just letting injustices go, letting grief go, letting your pain go, letting your anger go. You do it through words, exchange. I exchange. I let it go to you. It's the exchange of the cross. And then I now forgive them. I release them from debt, from owing me anything. Now, if it's a significant uh, issue involving the law or involving abuse or something like that, that does not mean 
that I won't instigate legal proceedings through the police if that was the way I need to go. But this is about the heart being free. So in what I'm doing, I'm no longer angry. It's just a justice issue. You understand that? So it's letting go of the injustice. So we release the injustice to the Lord and then just bless them. Lord, bless them. Turn them away from their sin. And that's what you do. You bless them. God will turn them from their sin because they're in deep trouble if they don't turn. You don't think God will, will deal with them? God will deal with people. I mean, he knows how to deal with people. My problem is I have no idea why they're behaving so badly. And so my tendency is to judge them and create havoc in my own life as well. So just better leave the judgment to God, leave the justice to God. This is all about, I want justice. It's not fair. I want my demama. Listen, just let it all go to the Lord. Let the Lord work out justice. Don't work out vengeance on people or how are you going to pay them back. Let it go. Let it go to the Lord. Be peaceful. Be a man, a woman of peace. And let God work the justice side out. You'll, you'll live peacefully and happily and you sleep okay and you won't have turmoils go. You won't have room for demons to torment because you, you, you've, the justice that you recognize is the justice at the cross. That is the place where justice is given for everyone. Now we don't see it right now always, but it'll come. There is a day of reckoning for every person. And I think of some of the people who have acted against me. I think I pray for them because I don't want you to be staying before God with all that on your shoulders. God have mercy on them. Can you see? It's, it's trusting the justice of God. Trusting that God is a just God. Shall not the just God of the earth do right? Yeah, he will. He'll do what's right. But I don't always know what's right. Jesus said, I don't, uh, I don't judge by what I see. It's deceptive. I don't judge by what I hear. I judge by what my father says. So you can't judge because you've got no idea. We can judge the behaviors, but not the person. That's an ungodly behavior. But as for you, I've no idea why you're doing that, you know, but you, you're called to live better than that. Can you understand? It's the, the intentional withholding of living, judging people. This is a big issue for the church. I mean, we can't go into it. I'm just trying to open up aspects or windows into this journey of deliverance because people can deal with the obvious stuff while all the time there's pride and judgmental attitudes in their heart and they're deeply in bondage to demons. Can't enjoy things. Okay, so there we go. So the, the next thing is then is uh, to break agreements that I have made with demons or given room for demons to come. Uh, to re we need to renounce or break agreements with demonic spirits. So uh, that means to speak words to cancel the agreement you came to. Now, some people actually have invited demons in. Well, demons remember what you said forever. And I've had them say to me, but they invited me in. I have a right to be here. That's the language they use. That's why when I, and you'll see that when we do the deliverance prayer, why I always lead them in a prayer to position themselves where that no longer stands. Now, can you see, it's just about the law. It's about how the spirit realm works and just flowing with God's pattern of government. He's learning how to administer God's government in this manner. Not so. So renounce. What well, need to renounce? Need to renounce any agreements I've made with demonic spirits. Have there been soul ties? I renounce my attachments, ungodly attachments to things I thought would give me life and they've destroyed me. It's renounce them. Cancel. I cancel it now. It's like canceling. That's the only cancel culture I want. Cancel the ungodly attachments. Cancel the demonic agreements. If you made vows, cancel the ungodly vows. I withdraw them now. You know, if you make judgment, oh, I cancel that judgment. I withdraw it now, Lord. I don't want to be judged. I withdraw it. It's just, and, and the Lord will show you what you need as you talk with people, what sorts of things, and he'll bring it up to them. I'm just helping you kind of understand that there's recognize, there's take responsibility, there's repentance, there's releasing and receiving forgiveness, there's renouncing, and then there's finally resisting. <clears throat> the person must take a stand to resist. Don't be passive. If you've got a bug inside, you cough it out. <laughs> well, it says, submit to God, then resist. It didn't say, just stand there and wait for someone to do something. That could hardly be deemed resisting. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Nothing happened. 
No. Where's the fight? That word resist means to make a stand against something. So stand against it. How do you stand against it? You stand against it verbally, and you stand against it by just resisting, changing your life. But in a ministry context, standing against the demon means speak to it. Exercise your faith. Command it to be removed. Command it to go. Speak to it and insist it leaves your life. Then begin and then just breathe out. Things come in. The word demon or the word spirit being or spirit is breath. So breathe out. Breathe out or cough out. Sometimes you find they start coughing. It's like a faith action. Next minute they can't stop. Like a massive hacking attack. <laughs> you know, it can go on even after people leave the building. They're coughing and gurgling and choking. But there's just a cleansing work. Stuff is coming out. Comes out often through through the through the mouth. So 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 they need to resist. So I lead them in a prayer of resistance. Next session, I'll talk to you exactly just how you set it up, what you do. First part, diagnosis. Second part, just the ministry steps. So I'll break it down to steps. Uh, so I know the, the bit of information and stuff for you to take. But at the end of the day, it's just like a flow. You, you walk in with the Holy Ghost, which you get used to. It's quite simple. There's just a bug inside, and we need to get it out. So get them aligned with Christ, get them resisting, and then together you push together and the thing's gone. They're not complex stuff. Jesus said, just shut up and come out. That was it. it. Paul said, come out in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not complex stuff. It's actually about spiritual alignment and asserting authority and bringing, and, and you're working together. So I come as the minister of God. My first thing is to represent what God is like. His compassion, his love, also his truth. So then I prepare the person, helping them understand how they got where they are and helping bring them into alignment. And then together, we believe God for the breakthrough. Now, this takes it away from, oh, my God, it's demons in. How do I get rid of them? You know, what do I do? And this is all so hard. No, it isn't. It's just simple. There's bugs in the house. Get rid of them. You know, you see a cockroach, you don't run away. You just get you. <laughs> Oh, well, I know, you know, well, the, I, I tend to, when we were young, we had a, um, we had a, uh, I had a little a fox terrier and I remember dad was cleaning out a wood pile one time and there must've been a rat hiding in it. And then as soon as the, soon as the light came, as soon as it was uncovered, it did a runner, which is what demons are like. They are terrified of the light that is within you that you carry and that when you speak the truth, it brings. Anyway, they, this thing ran. Now, my, the fox terrier, man, have I never seen anything move so quick. And that fox terrier, the moment he saw the rat, he was streaked after it, grabbed it in his mouth. And then I, what? Oh, it was an amazing. What are you doing? <laughs> Tossed it up in the air. And I thought, there's the best picture I can give you of deliverance. <laughs> That's probably the best picture I can give you. And I can tell you, it is like that when I get in, especially in the big meetings in Asia, and suddenly something manifests, I can literally feel the fox tear. <laughs> I can feel it inside me. It's, it's the warrior anointing. We're called to be warriors. This honor have all the saints. I can literally feel it right. <laughs> And it's just like that. I'm just straight in without even stopping to think. It's just I can feel that anointing there to, to flow and to confront that demon and, and uh, just the enjoyment of it. And afterwards, you can't believe the high you have. Mate, there's no high like commanding demons and they yell and shout and threaten and then suddenly they're gone. Oh. See, you're made for this. We are made to conquer. We're designed for dominion. We're designed for this. And that's why Jesus has left the demons there. Give you a chance to learn how to fight. Learn how to align. Give you something to grow your character against. Well, it's true. See, the Bible's very clear. At the end, in Revelation, he'll blow a trumpet and they'll just grab the devil and throw him into the prison and all the other things with him. That's how easy it is. Then they let him out, give him another go for a thousand years. Then they just do the same again, this time into the fire. 
Now, doesn't that tell you something then about the balance of power here? There's no battle here. None whatsoever. But we get in our mind, big devil, little God. And that's wrong thinking. You've got to think big God. Man, you guys are all in for trouble and I've only got a short time to work on you. So let's go for it and cast out as many as I can. So it's just shift your thinking around it that it's not some heavy duty stuff, but they do, it is a warfare. And so you do know how to carry yourself and live your life as a soldier of Jesus Christ. Well, we'll just finish there. That'll do for them. Have a break. Oh, that was fantastic. Come on, let's all stand and go. That was, just a, that was just fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much, Mike. Well, that one will get listened to over and over again as well. That, that whole, uh, whole issue of the cross there, uh, that, was, that was fantastic. Absolutely fantastic.